Welcome back to the Blue Line Millennial Podcast. Joining me on a very lovely, rainy, and uh, as far as weather goes, very out of character day in July here in Arizona. I've got Scott with me. Scott is a retired uh, city of Tempe police officer who uh, was shot seven times in the line of duty uh, back in the year 2000. We're going to be really digging into that um, uh, as well as uh, how he has recovered from that. Uh, Before we uh, start, I do want to, uh, on a personal note, dedicate this uh, this episode. I've got a, a cousin in England who I, I woke up to a text message that he had uh, passed away last night. So uh, this episode uh, is forever dedicated to uh, Les. So uh, rest easy, man. Uh, gonna miss you, big guy. Uh, you were always a, a goofball. I always enjoyed hanging out with you. Uh, as far as a nonprofit shout out, uh, one I've been wanting to get around to, we haven't talked about, uh, is the Hunter 7 Foundation. The Hunter 7 Foundation is bringing... Um, awareness to uh, like burn pit exposures overseas with our troops and and the cancers uh, that are just uh, ravaging the bodies uh, of the people who have given uh, so much of themselves already for this country uh, and and quite frankly the lack of action on the uh, on the part of the VA and uh, uh, just the inaction overall uh, uh, of of the government and, and the way that they're treating our troops. So I uh, wanted to uh, just reach out and, and uh, thank the Hunter 7 Foundation uh, for everything that they're doing to bring awareness. I, I draw parallels to it. Uh, and Scott, feel free to chime in, man, that uh, um, it, it's it'll be interesting to look back in the future and see uh, what sort of health problems plague police officers with just some of the exposures that we've had to things. Uh, I can remember clearing a uh, a house that they lit something on fire inside and the place is just covered in, in smoke. And the fire department says, Hey, we can't go in because this dude might be in there. And he's already like, I think he tried to attack somebody with, with a bat or an ax or something like that. And so we had to go in and clear it just as we were. Um, and, uh, you know, it had to be done, uh, I guess, uh, in order to, to protect the firefighters. But, uh, uh, you know, the other, the other half of your brain wonders exactly what sort of impact that's going to have going out into the future, as well as just our general exposures to everything else that we get all the, all the creepy crawlies and the nasties that we come across on the, on the day-to-day jobs. Yeah. You know, the gone are the days where you, the macho man just kind of strides into the, right. the face of danger without personal protective equipment. And, and you know, who knows what we'll, we'll get into. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, the burn pits, I, I met a, a gentleman who was a sufferer from, from that uh, last week, and it was bad. Yeah, it was bad news. But um, let's hope it. I mean, let's hope it 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 uh, doesn't get worse, but it probably will. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's that's the unfortunate truth. I mean, here we are having uh, um, pulled out of Afghanistan, and uh, uh, you know we we don't. I, I guess maybe we've minimized burn pit exposures, but it's just you know, hundred and or two hundred and some odd years of uh, of military advancements in this country and we're still burning really nasty stuff with fuel oil and diesel and uh having somebody stand over it with a wooden stick uh which just boggles my mind (laughs) but whatever i wasn't in the military so i guess i can't speak to a whole lot of it uh but do check out hunter seven uh i think it's hunter seven.org or hunter seven foundation on uh on instagram and and uh uh checking uh check in on them and and see the good things that they're doing, uh, to continue to serve, uh, those who have served our country. Uh, Scott, you're, you're down from up North, man. Was the drive. Okay. Yeah, it's a good drive. Good drive. Nice. Nice. And, uh, was, is it raining up, up North at all? 
Well, it, it is. We've got some flooding going on up there. Um, you know, people post on Facebook, this road's flooded and that road's flooded and this restaurant's got, you know, a foot of water in it Ugh. and things like that, unfortunately. And got a lot of rain. Yeah. Well, and, and inevitably, anywhere that there's a road closure, there's somebody asking a patrol officer, I just live over there. Can I go? I just need to go that way. Like, no, your Prius isn't going to float. Just find another way home. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all over the news every year. The, for those of you outside of Arizona, we actually have a stupid motorist law, uh, and I don't know if that's exactly how it's written uh, uh, in the revised statutes, but that was the the name that came across, um, and it basically says that uh, you are responsible for all costs associated with your dumbass driving through a, a flooded road or something akin and, to and that. The, and the rescue. And, and the rescue cost, yeah. and yeah, anything that happens, uh, you're on the hook for, so... Uh, well, uh, launching into it, Scott, uh, first of all, man, thank you for coming down. Scott and I, uh, uh, connected, uh, uh, probably about a month and a half ago, two months ago, um, through, uh, one of my assistant chiefs, uh, who, who turned me on to, to Scott's story. Um, so without any further ado, Scott, I now have, I used to only have one icebreaker question and now I have three. So you're under the gun, no pressure. Um. Uh, my very first question to you is, uh, you can have a, a drink, uh, with anybody uh, living or dead. Who is it? And what are you drinking? And if you don't drink alcohol, that's fine. Just substitute for, for whatever it may be. <laughs> well, you know, if I, if I had a choice, I think it would probably be, um, George Washington. Okay. The, you know, the man, the myth, the father of our country, what got, what, what went through his head as he was fighting the revolutionary war and, and uh, you know how he made it through those dark times, and gosh, what we we be drinking? I don't know what he would be drinking. Um, I'd probably just have a diet coke. There you go. Yeah, who knows? I mean, you you look back and you what did they drink? There is a there's some information that their bar tab, um, for I forget how many of them were present at. I think it was the signing of the declaration, um, uh, and and their their bar tab was just astronomically high and somebody extrapolated it through inflation and what it would cost in current times, like several thousand dollars worth of alcohol for like 30 of them. Right. So they, uh, <laughs> they were making big decisions. I suppose some of them probably needed a little bit of liquid courage to get them yeah. through it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he would, he would be an interesting one to talk to and just to get his take on the current state of things. Hey, is, is this what you meant? Like, is this what you intended right. to happen or, or are we way off base? I think I, Really, I, I mean, that's a bipartisan thing. I think either side of the aisle would be curious to know, mm -hmm. you know, his stance on, on where we're at right now. That's a good answer. George, I don't think I've had anybody say George Washington yet. Um, uh, so uh, kudos to you. I like that answer. It would be very, very interesting. Uh, and he would probably appreciate, you know, a climate controlled environment uh, as opposed right. to like sitting at Valley Forge, freezing his toes off. So, um, uh, all right. So George Washington. Uh, and uh, next up, Scott, what uh, what books are you currently reading? Currently, right now, um, I'm reading a book called The Name of the Rose. And it was a movie back in the 80s that, uh, that I had seen. And uh, it's a hard book to get through. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we run across those yeah, every now and then. But I'm determined. I'm determined to get through it. Right on. It's basically a murder mystery. Okay. All right. Uh, I... Uh, this question, I think this was a question I was originally planning on asking people, and then it just got kind of tossed by the wayside, you know, when I started this, what, a year, almost a year ago now. Um, but uh, uh, 
I think that it's uh, it's important. You know, we got to get back to to reading, and and for some of us, I mean, it's how we we wind down at the end of the day. So I'm currently working through. I think it's called Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo about the uh, the oh, Doolittle raid. Um, raid. Yeah. Shout out to uh, to Andrew from Austere Tac Med if you're listening. Uh, you're uh, I think his, he had a great uncle uh, who was uh, one of the Doolittle Raiders. So uh, Andrew, if you want this book when I'm done with it, just shoot me a text message and I'll get it over to you. Um, uh, the uh, I had a third icebreaker question. See, this is why I should write things down, and I, I don't. Um, I'm sure that... Uh, Just throw it out there during the, the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure we'll come back to it at some point in time. Um, I don't I don't really remember what the heck it was. Uh, anyways, uh, Scott, so you're, uh, you've since retired from law enforcement, uh, but you started as a cop uh, back in 1998, Right. Um, I won't tell you what grade in elementary school I was in in 1998. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, well, I was some somebody, uh, a couple people I work with were over near the quartermaster's office looking at had like ballistic helmets, and uh, somebody said, "Yeah, my helmet was manufactured in 1997." Like your helmet? Do you want me to tell you where I was at in my life when that ballistic helmet you're putting your life in was manufactured? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so my my ballistic helmet I've since gotten a new one my ballistic helmet was manufactured pre 911 so I am very thankful to have a newly manufactured about time to replace that about bad time boy. to replace that bad boy 20 years on yeah. um anyways well Scott where'd you grow up man where'd you get your start in life funny thing is I grew up in Tempe okay and went to school in Tempe you know and spent uh formative years of my life there it was a small town back then um so it was a great place to grow up yeah. Was it just, uh, I mean, what did Tempe look like in 98? It was just I, the old mill who has been there forever. Uh, right. and then ASU, but uh, I mean, imagine Arizona state was a much smaller campus than it currently is. Well, my dad worked for, for ASU for 32 years. Um, and we, we moved into the edge of Tempe, uh, the frontiers of Tempe at, at, uh, McClintock and Southern, which is uh, now just, you know, bustling, I once uh, lived I, at the corner of McClintock yeah, and Southern. Yeah, they were so. they were they were building the uh, the highway there. Okay, a little bit south of, of us when I was growing up. I remember all the you know the trucks and the tractors. And sure, big equipment, heavy equipment moving by and and doing that. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to see it kind of grow up around us and, and everything kind of change that uh, neighborhood with a lot of kids. To you know, we all kind of grew up at the same time, moved away at the same time. Mm -hmm. It 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 changed. What, uh, out of curiosity, what corner of McClintock and Southern? Well, uh, they used to have the bashes there, uh, the discount tire. Okay. Over there. Um, and that's the, what is that? The South. That's the Southwest corner. Southwest yes. corner behind there. Yeah. So I would, I would be curious. We'll talk once we end it. When was, once we end this, but I live two streets South of that discount tire. Really? Yeah. Which street? Uh, Pebble beach. Okay. I live in La Jolla. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Well, man. And. There it is right there, just how small of a world that yeah. we all have. Yeah, when I when I uh, moved out of my parents' house as a little baby bird and decided to spread my wings and fly, I promptly moved into my then-girlfriend, now-wife's house um, because I just couldn't stand being alone. Uh, that's just the long and short of it. I'd like to say that I have some sort of mysterious background, but the fact of the matter is, like, no, no, I left my parents' house and went straight into my girlfriend's house. I made, I, I labeled it as like a strategic decision because I was going, uh, uh, once upon a time had aspirations to go through ROTC for the air force. Uh, 
And so I was up at like four o'clock in the morning to get to ASU and, and be there in time for PT. Uh, and then the sequester happened and then the government shut down and they were like, oh yeah, we don't really, uh, we can't get you a commission and we're not going to pay for school anymore. So uh, anyways, best of luck. Uh, they were a little bit more tactful than that, but uh, yeah, it was, that was my, my whole selling point to my parents. Like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm going to move in with her just so I can be that much closer to school. And then like three weeks later, I was out of ROTC and living a normal life. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh man. Uh, So you you grew up in, in Tempe. What is your earliest memory of, of uh, of police officers? Was it a Tempe cop? Was it somebody else? No, I mean, uh, I'd see him around. I guess my, my earliest was um, getting pulled over for speeding. All right. And getting a ticket. And I can't remember. I wish I could remember who that was um but uh and i and later on i got in an accident and got another ticket and then later on i hit someone on a, on a bike and got another ticket down down a mill and uh university area and uh so i had interactions with police but it wasn't negative or other than the fact that i had done something wrong i was getting right a ticket for it but uh i never you know once thought hey you know that's that's cool that's something i want to do at that point in my life um, when I was, uh, younger and my parents probably wouldn't like me to, to rehash this, but I was on my way to California with my parents and they left me at a gas station <laughs> <laughs> and I came out of the gate, the, 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 the bathroom and the car was gone and I knew exactly what happened. Oh, they still think I'm asleep in the back of the, all right, well, then they discover it. They'll be back. I'll just sit here and wait. Well, the people that were there, they called the police and this guy showed up and I remember his, uh, you know, his arms were so big, it was straining the the, the sleeves of right, his uniform. Right. Sat in the front seat as he filled out, you know, his, did his report. And I remember the shotgun was right there. I'm like, is that real? He's like, I sure hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> but he was pretty impressive. I sure hope it. I'm going to have to remember that one. I will go back to patrol at some point in time. And if somebody ever asks me if that AR-15 is real, I'll be like, well, man, I hope so. (laughs) Or you get the kids poking your gun on your hip. Is that real? Yeah, there you go. So that's awesome. Do you remember which gas station it was? No, no, I don't. It was a mom and pop shop. It was in California. Okay. When this happened, we were on my way to my uncle's house. We were almost there. And so they drove another, you know, 10, 15 minutes to my uncle's house, unpacked. Scott's not here. You know, there, we had a bunch of kids. I think we had four kids, but at that time. And so, They realized what happened and came back and got me, of course. It ended up being, you know, just a little blip, and I never held it against them. But uh, and I wasn't psychologically scarred or anything. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they forgot me. I, I, I could see how that could happen. You know, whatever. I've wondered if I should put a couch in this room just in case somebody is psychologically scarred. If they'd yeah, like to sit down, I'll sit get them some Rorschach uh, uh, blobs <laughs> to look at, and I can sit in a, uh, an easy chair with some glasses and, and take go. notes and just say, mm-hmm, a whole lot. And then I can ask for like $700 when they leave. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> oh, all right. That's good stuff, man. I, uh, I want to say my mother-in-law was left at a gas station when she was young too, but it was like they hadn't noticed her until about like four hours later. Oh, no. And so then it was a four hour return trip. Okay. Yeah. That'd be serious. <laughs> so that was, that was no good. I'm pretty sure they were crossing the entire country also. So yeah. hopefully you didn't make too many stops and you're sitting there like, okay, we have to retrace our steps. Which gas station were we just at? Which yeah. gas station were we at before that one? Yeah, life before cell phones. Yep. Life before yeah. cell phones. What an odd time right. that must've been. And now we have instant communications and uh, I'm pretty sure I've got like a nine or 10 year old niece who's got a nicer iPhone than I do. Yeah. So 
but I can see the benefits. I can remember going on field trips um, and my mom would give me her Nokia cell phone because you can't break them. So, right. but that way I would at least have some form of communication should something happen. Right. So I do remember, uh, and they used to, you used to only be able to get so many characters on a text message. <laughs> yep. Back in the stone age. Simpler times, simpler yeah. times indeed. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, you got several tickets, uh, and, and I key in on you saying that it wasn't a negative contact because there are so many people now who you write a ticket to and, uh, they did nothing wrong. Like, never mind that there's a car flipped over in the intersection that they T-boned running a red light, uh, but they want to fight it every step of the way. Right, right. Um, uh, but you were a little bit different, man. And maybe it's, you know, it probably has a lot to do with the way you were brought up. Personal um, responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Responsibility and accountability. Uh, but what is it that led you ultimately down the path of being like, hey, I want to be the guy uh, to, to maybe write the tickets as a, or and well, not everybody wants to be a ticket writer. But what, what led you down the path of wanting to be a police officer? Well, you know, as my wife likes to point out, I've had several, several different jobs. I, I seem to get bored with one and go from one job to the other. And around the time I was about 30, she got kind of tired of this. And I finally got on with uh, the Department of Juvenile Corrections as a PE teacher. And I uh, was working out there in North Phoenix, Happy Valley Road. Oh, yeah. Um, Adobe. Up off there. the I-17 there, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And um, what I kind of, as I'm you know, thinking, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I kind of was edging towards the firefighter. And I had tested a couple places with, you know, half of Phoenix. Uh, during this test, they got 20 slots open, you know, like 500 guys show up. To yeah, yeah. Yep. And a friend of mine told me, hey, why don't you get on with the, the police uh, the police department? You can lateral over later. So I was kicking this around, thinking about that. I, mean, I don't know about this. And One day when we were um, waiting between classes to come, one of these kids decided to run, tried to escape. And as he's running around the interior of the, of the uh, juvenile detention center, no one could catch him, and I, no, I'll try and catch him. So I ran after him, caught him, jumped on him, threw him on the ground, and you know everybody else came to the polyester pileup and cuffed him away. I thought hey, that was pretty fun. That was cool. I bet I could do this. And so then I tested uh, for the Tempe Police Department. It just happened to be the next test coming, and um, boy, they they put me through pretty quickly. Um, you know, from the written, and then you go to the physical agility. And I think it was the oral board and the psych. And it, I think in like two months, I was slated to, back in 98, slated to start the academy in January of 98. So it was a pretty whirlwind, uh, you know, uh, hiring experience going through that. And, uh, you know, found myself in the academy in 98. And then when I got out on the, uh, on the street and started working, I thought to myself, I'm not going to lateral over to... This is fire. too good. This is too good. This is awesome. This is great. This is what I want to do. And so, you know, I, I had a few, uh, you know, critical incidences. Um, was uh, involved in a couple of crashes. Not myself, but uh, shot at a car, drove through a fence into a house. Um, another one, I was in pursuit of a car. I was told to call for the pursuit. The MCSO deputies didn't call it off, and the guy drove into a house about a block away from the first one. Oh man! <laughs> so my lieutenant's like, "If there's a call at two in the in the, in the, at night, 
and there's a car in the house. It's going to be Tipton. <laughs> and I was like, well, I caught the guy. <laughs> anyway, um, I finally got put on, uh, not finally, but after, you know, I did my, my FTO, got put on a squad, a salty old, old dog squad. Sure. And then, of course, you go to Midnight's Weekends. Oh, so yeah. I did my year Midnight's Weekends, and I, was, I, I got off that and was put down in South Tempe, which is pretty nice, pretty nice area. And uh, was thinking, you know, after about two years, you kind of start thinking, well, what, what am I going to go into? Am I going to go into bikes or motors or you know, detectives? Or I thought, well, I want to go on the SWAT team, you know. So that looked uh, like a pretty, pretty fun uh, activity. You know, shooting machine guns, kicking in doors. Yeah, things. why not? Yeah, you know, every little kid, every little, every little oh, kid's yeah. dream, right? Yeah, <laughs> you'd be the guys that save the day, right? Get all tactical, and they so, make TV shows about you. Like, why not? Who I wouldn't know, want to do it? <laughs> I know. So. I had been training with me and a friend of mine had been training for the SWAT test. And, uh, I didn't, uh, it was that Wednesday before this, this critical incident happened, this uh, lethal force encounter happened, but it was on the Wednesday and that, that lethal force encounter was Friday. So I'd been training. I thought for this test, I didn't pass it, but I thought, well, I'll just, you know, keep training and do it next year. But that Friday happened to be my, uh, my wedding and my 10 year wedding anniversary. And I was, uh, <clears throat> gearing up for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ah, no worries. Happens. <clears throat> anyway, I'd been gearing up for that and had gotten my wife a ring and had a big, um, you know, night planned. 10 years. Hey, that's a long time to be married. And um, this was kind of the situation where I found myself in on that Friday. It was July 14th. So the anniversary just passed. I was parked under some shade at a church, getting ready to, you know, go 10-7. I'm trying to get all my files in a nice little, you know, package just handed to my sergeant. And then the call came out and it was a reckless driving call. I looked on the computer, looked more like a, more like domestic violence, um, boyfriend assaulted girlfriend. She's, you know, fleeing from him in her car with a friend and he's following them. They're coming from Phoenix. The guy that was in that beat was, was busy. I'm like, all right, well, I'll, let's go. So, Drove over there, told dispatch, basically to have him pull over at Millen Southern in uh, Tempe. There's a fries there, and it's, it's pretty crowded. It's Friday. It's like two thirty, three in the afternoon. I figure if this guy wants to do something, he probably doesn't want to have a lot of witnesses, and there's a lot of witnesses there. So have him, you know, stop there. There was some confusion with my backup getting to where I was. He had preempted himself from my call to another call. What he was familiar with, they closed down the channel and. And everybody switched over to Northside Channel. But, you know, as you do, when that happens, you switch one radio over to Northside and you keep one on the, on the Southside right. Channel because you want to kind of find out what this cool thing is that, you know, this guy's going to. But um, I showed up Millen Southern and uh, was flagged down by the victim. And she showed me she had some bruises on her. And, you know, the first thing she said was, you know, my, my boyfriend's following me. Well, Okay. That's not a crime. What's, what else is going on? Well, he assaulted me. He beat me up, and here's the bruises around my neck where he choked me. And I'm like, all right. One of these guys. You know, you hold a special place in your, in your yeah. heart for people that beat up children and kick dogs and beat up women. I'm going to get this guy. So I'm like, okay, where is he? And she pointed across the parking lot. There's a guy watching us in his car. Said, That's him. He's right there. He's about, you know, 7,500 yards away. Like, all right, does he have any weapons? Oh, no, he doesn't have any weapons. 
He did. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want him to get later trouble. found out out yeah. to be a lie. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know, okay, let's, uh, let's go contact this guy. I don't, someone else was coming to back me up from a little further away. And I figured, well, they'll be here soon. If I don't go contact this guy, he's going to drive away. I'm going to lose him. So I go and I park my car a little ways away, go around his car like a traffic stop. He's just sitting there. And of course it's July. It's only 113 degrees out. He's sitting in his car. So who does that? People don't do that. You don't sit in your car yeah. at 13 degrees. I walk up to the car, you know, like a traffic stop. His window's down. I say, hey, can you step out of the car? I need to talk to you. He says, no, I'm not going to step out of my car. And I look, and he's reading the Constitution of the United States. I'm like, okay, one of these sovereign citizen types. Here we go. I said, no, I, I, need to, I need to get out of your car because, you know, we know. You can't see their hands. This is their environment. We want to get them away right. from anything they have in their car. And he wouldn't get out. And so I'm like, all right. So I had a little tape recorder. This for you know, before uh, body, body cameras. Sure. So I had a little micro tape, micro cassette tape on, and I turned that thing on. And thought, okay, this is at least going to be a complaint. This guy's going to file a complaint against me. I want to get this all on record. So the first thing you hear on the cassette is me saying, okay, get out of the car because, you know, officer-friendly time's over. Yeah. I asked you twice. You didn't do it. Ask, tell, make. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, that, that officer presence, verbal commands, now it's time to go hands-on. So I open his door. He says, you, you know, close my door. So I latch onto his arm, start trying to pull him out of the car, and he's got more leverage than me. He's holding on to his steering wheel. So I, I let go, and I, you know, I figure I'm not going to get him out this way. So I just show him my pepper spray. Because, you know, people that have been sprayed by that, they know how bad it is. And I hate pepper be. spray with every ounce of oh, my man. being. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> and this is the only time I ever used it. And uh, so he uh, he basically had not been sprayed before, I don't think, because he didn't comply. So I pepper sprayed him. I got him a good dose. Um, he turned his head away. But, you know, that stuff is, it's, it gets everywhere. Yeah. So I thought, okay, 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 okay. Let's just take it down a notch. I'm going to wait for my backup. We're going to get this guy out of the car because we got enough PC here to arrest him for assault. So I'm standing outside of his door about, I don't know, four feet and five feet away from him. I get out my baton. It's the next level of force. You sure. Know? Yeah. And he's just itching his eyes and he's looking at me over his shoulder and he is, it's his eyes and he says a few things like, this is harassment. And I just say, to him, Hey, get out of the car. I'm not doing anything to you get out of this car. And I asked for the uh, fire department to get dispatched to treat him for OC exposure. And then uh, he was to put his, uh, his arm on the door. And I go to give him a good baton strike on the, on the arm, and he pulls it away. And I said, you touch that door again, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> Internal Affairs heard that. They were like, oh, no. Oh, no. And they go, okay, come on. Stay and stay now stay. you'd currently be fired, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, different times. Old school, right? Old school, right? <laughs> I didn't actually hit him. I just threatened to hit him. But anyway, at that time, I think actually uh, it's a little hazy around that time. But I think I was, you know, gonna talk on my shoulder mic. Well, he had a, a Sig Sauer P220, a 45 caliber handgun, and he had it beside the emergency brake in his seat, or just to the right of his his right thigh. So he reached down, grabbed that, came around, and just lit me up, and point blank range. The first thing I remember was just kind of seeing stars, um, not really knowing what hit me. And the way I relate it is 
when you go and a sleepover at grandma's house, you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, oh my gosh, where am I? Mm -hmm. It was that feeling. And then you kind of, you go, yeah, I'm here at grandma's house. So I was like, well, I was talking to this guy and he was being a jerk. And then all of a sudden everything came back into focus and he was getting out of his car and there was kind of smoke around him. And I hear way off in the distance, this pop, pop, pop. And it feels like someone's hitting me in the chest with a sledgehammer. And being the, the trained investigator that I that I am, I put two and two together and figured, hey, that's the guy I was talking to, and he's shooting me. Boy, this is a bad day. This is a series of unfortunate <laughs> events that I've found myself that's in. That's right. How did this happen? Anyway, uh, from there, it went kind of like a slideshow. The, the first slide was him coming out of a car and, and seeing the smoke. And then the next slide was me um, facing the opposite way out in the parking lot. And then the third slide was me on my face looking at all the little rocks and pebbles in the asphalt of the parking lot. And time slows down mm -hmm. when these kind of things happen. That's one of the, the effects of a critical incident like this. And I remember thinking, what just happened? I think I just got shot. I wonder if any of you got past the vest. I think maybe they did. Boy, am I going to die today? If I died today on my anniversary, that would be terrible. My wife would never forgive me. No, she'd be real, real angry. Yeah. <laughs> and if I did die, who would take care of her? Now, I see, I got that life insurance through the city of Tempe, and I think it's like $100,000. This is what I'm thinking. Sure. You know, I'm thinking the thoughts. weird things that come to your mind. As I'm laying on the, on the face down on the pavement, looking at all the little pebbles in, in the asphalt, and if you asked me to redraw what those pebbles look like right today, I could probably do it. Last thing I thought was, where did this guy go? And then I heard footsteps and the shadow falls over me and I put two and two together. Oh, he's behind me. He's going to shoot me in the head now. Okay, well, that makes sense, you know, I guess. And I felt really calm for some reason. And he shot and he missed. I remember seeing the spatter of the ricochet right beside my right eye. And then nothing. Well, later a witness who had seen this, these events happening, had, had said he shot, and then he, he kept trying to shoot, pulling the trigger of the gun. And he looked at it, and I guess it had malfunctioned, and he walked away. And so his gun malfunctioned. So he had two rounds left, one in the magazine, one in the chamber, and it, he pulled the trigger at least twice more after that one shot that he missed me, the only shot he missed me. And then he started walking away. Nobody ever taught him to tap rack. I guess not. I mean, <laughs> Which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he's walking away, and then all of a sudden, you know, a switch in my head flipped, and I'm like, okay, man, you're a cop. Do something stupid. So I rolled over, and I, I, as I was rolling over, I was you know, trying to remember, okay, you got to rock that, that thing forward. My gun holster, double retention. Snap, rock it forward. And I rolled over, and my gun was already in my hand. I was like, oh, oh, that's good. Because of the muscle memory, kind right. of training, SWAT, you know, I was dry firing every day and live firing twice a week and trying to get that, uh, I didn't want to fail the shooting part of that sure, test. Sure, sure. And so it was already in my in my hand. And so I'm aiming at this guy and the sights are just going nuts. I'm trying to aim at his back. And the, the, the way I was, I was on my back, kind of in a half crunch type of a position with my legs kind of bent, my elbow, uh, right elbow with my gun in it on the ground, so one-handed. And I'm looking down the sights at this guy, and they're just moving everywhere. And then the the uh, Craig Stapp, my instructor, uh, the firearms instructor there in Tempe, 
you know, out of all the voices you could hear, you know, you, God, you, long dead relatives, maybe your wife. No, it was Craig Stapp. Came in my <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, Tipton is not a, you know, a water gun. Don't jerk that trigger, squeeze it, come, you know, feel the recoil, come back, get that uh, sight picture, look out what's behind it. And I remember just thinking, well, there's just cars. I can just see cars behind him. And uh, anyway, I shot and I remember counting because I knew internal affairs would ask me that later. Mm -hmm. And the first shot, I was aiming his back, first shot hit him between his, his knee and his, and his ankle, and his calf, right? The meat of his calf and just snapped his leg. And I remember it bending in a weird way sideways. I fired five more times. So I fired six, that first volley, he went down. And this kind of goes back to, to my academy days. You know, they teach you, you know, double tap and assess. And uh, I heard stories of people doing double tap and assess, and the guy just go down, and they're like, oh, gee, this didn't, you know. This that didn't work. work, yeah. What do I do now? I'm like, no, 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 this double tap and assess. I'm going to shoot, 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 shoot. Okay, he's down. Now stop shooting. So that's what I did. I shot six times. And the other thing that I thought in the academy, because they played these recordings of critical incidents, mm -hmm. lethal force encounters, and the cops are screaming. You can't understand what they're saying. I'm like, I'm going to make sure that I am nice and clear. <laughs> so I got on my mic. I took a breath and I put out 998, 999. And I said, I have been shot. And then just to make sure that everybody knew what was going on. So I look, go back and look over at him and he's still crawling. And uh, you can almost hear on that little tape, <laughs> the gears in my head. What do I do now? Uh, well, he's the threat's still there. He'd be crawling to his gun. He could crawl and get into the back of his. Uh, as far as I know, I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die at this point. If I die, he could run back over me, get the gun, shoot me. I'm still able to shoot him. He could get his gun and shoot me. Um, he can shoot other people that are on. The, I, I've got to shoot him again. I've got to stop the threat. The threat is not stopped. And that's what a lot of people think. You know, oh, this place they shoot to kill. Now, shoot to stop. Yep. Shoot to stop. Once Absolutely. the threat is stopped, then you've got to stop shooting. And so I shot three more times. The last shot, he, he jerked and stopped. And then I, I was really mad at that point. And I was like, I've got to stop shooting now. I can't justifiably shoot him anymore. You can't just empty the magazine on yeah, this one. So yeah, so I'm sitting there. And then after he stopped, I'm just sitting there staring at him down the sights of my gun. And I take a breath in. And boy, my chest is just on fire. And I'm like, oh, something got past the vest. And I look at my right leg. My right leg is broken. I can see it's it's up close to my, you know, up to the upper thigh. It's bent in a weird way. And I thought, how did my leg break? You know, I can run for mile. I'm going to be on the SWAT team, you know. And um, at that point, a witness came up. He says, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> can I help you? And I said, I've been, I've been <laughs> shot. He says, I was, a, I was a policeman back in Connecticut. And I was. That's great. Let's talk about your life story after you fix me. <laughs> yeah. God bless him. He just wanted to, to, to help. Um, but, you know, at that point, I was, I was pretty annoyed with the, with the world. Just let me die in peace, you know. But anyway, he tried to take my gun. And uh, I was like, don't take my gun. Take that guy's gun. Don't take my gun. And so I'm just sitting there, you know, focused, laser focused on this guy, watching him breathing this. In the, every time I take a breath, it was painful. My leg was on fire. My chest is on fire. And the funny thing was, at the, that point, pepper spray was my number 10 as far as pain goes. And I thought to myself, this hurts almost as much as that pepper spray. <laughs> <laughs> and a few more breaths. I'm like, well, this is probably about the, yeah, this is, this is pretty dang close. This is up there. I don't know. And I just, you can hear me on the tape. 
just kind of breathing and trying to breathe. And then you hear the sirens. It's like, oh, man, best sound in the world. Cavalry's coming. Here comes the cavalry. First guy on scene comes over to me, and he's like, Tipton, Tipton, let me take your gun. I had a death grip on that gun. I'm a cop. Let me take your gun. So he gets the gun. He pulls my vest down, and you hear him on the on the table. Oh, shit. <laughs> I got a bullet hole right in the middle of my oh. chest. And uh, he's figuring, oh, this guy's dead. He just doesn't know yet. So they're staging. Another guy had gotten on the, uh, Joe Trishler. Scott Smith was the first one on Joe Trishler. They've both since retired. And Joe Trishler, motor motor cop, he went over and he got the uh, guy cuffed up. And Scott Smith's trying to talk to me. Hey, Tipton, Tipton, you know, stay with us, stay with us. You know, the, the TFD's here. They're staging, they'll be here in a second. And he said he's talking to me. He's like, the lights are on, nobody's home, man. And then my eyes rolled back in my head. And my lips turned blue and I just went limp. And at that point, he f- went focus, f- focus on me to... You got a mask? You got a mask? He was, I guess I had cooties or something, but he, <laughs> trying to find a mask. Like and a CPR mask? The, yeah. Hey. <laughs> so they got a mask, and they started doing CPR on me, and you can hear them, and back then it was five to one. You know, one and two and three and four and five. And uh, other cops are coming on the scene, and people are walking all over each other. You can hear the squelch of the radios as they're walking all over each other. And they're doing CPR on me, and and... You know, at this point, I'm dead, but I, I don't remember any of that stuff. I don't, didn't have a near-death experience. As far as I know, if I did, I don't remember. But what I do remember, you can hear on the on the, the tape, I come back and I moan, and they're like, yeah, come on, Tiffin, come on, do one more round. <laughs> I did one more round, pushing on my chest with that gunshot wound in it. Yeah. And I come back, oh, I'm moaning, and then the first thing I remember thinking is, oh, okay, this wasn't a dream. This actually happened. This is the worst day of my life. And I opened my eyes, and there's this guy from the fire department that I knew. I used to hang out the fire, at the fire department and, and type because they'd feed me sometimes. Sure, you know? yeah. So he's there looking at me, and his face is pale, and he's just, he, I could tell he's, just, he's looking at a dead man. He says, hey, Tipton, you're going to be okay. <laughs> You're the worst actor ever. The worst bedside (laughs) manner ever. And I, they came to visit me in the hospital later, and they're like, uh, they're like, oh yeah, you were circling the drain, man. We didn't think you were gonna make it. I'm like, yeah, I know. I could tell. So they got me on the gurney, and got me in the back of the ambulance, and they're arguing, should we fly him? Should we, you know, take him to? I think we can get him faster there. I'm just like, make a decision. Let's go. (laughs) Just decide what you're gonna do. Uh, and a friend of mine, uh, you know, was there and they you know, led me, you know, code three, hair on fire to the county. So we're in the, in the back of the ambulance and now I'm awake and I figure if I'm awake and I'm talking, I'm not dead. So I'm just going to keep doing this. This seems to be working. So I told the paramedic there, Hey man, call my wife. Here's my number. Tell her I'm going to be late to our date tonight. He's like, okay, and I'm like, get the O negative blood ready because I'm O negative. I can only take O negative yeah, blood. Yeah, right. Get the O neg blood, and I guess they were saying that the, that the ambulance was filling up with my blood. I didn't know. I didn't see any blood ever. And uh, at one point, I, I you know grabbed his hand, and he said, uh, he said, what? He put his ear down to my mouth. I said, hey, are you guys taking applications? I'm thinking about lateraling <laughs> over. <laughs> to the fire department because this is too his job is too dangerous he's like hey don't worry we're gonna take you to Cigna urgent care you'll be fine <laughs> like, you know, 
gonna, I will die for sure. You take me, don't <laughs> dare take me to signal urgent care. So this is the conversation we're having as we're going to the hospital. Meanwhile, my one of my trainers and his lieutenant, the last thing they saw, uh, according to my recollection, was them doing CPR on me, and they took off to go tell my wife. And so they're trying to find, they, they went to her work, they, she wasn't there. They went uh, home in Mesa, and as they're driving out there, the conversation is kind of like, oh boy, I sure hope we get there fast. I sure hope he lives. Yeah, if he doesn't, we're going to have to give a death notification. Well, says my trainer, yeah, that'd be rough to give a death notification. You know, you should probably do that. She says, I'm not going to do it. Like, well, you know, you're the ranking officer here. You should probably, you should probably be the one to do that. She's like, yes. And as the ranking officer, I'm giving you a direct order. That if there's a death <laughs> notification to be given, you are going to be giving it. He's like, I'm going to just drive faster. Yeah, that's a good idea. So <laughs> my wife's getting ready for a big date. Newsflash, Tempe officer shot. She's like, oh, I'm going to pay attention to this new flash, news flash here. She actually saw me getting loaded up into the, oh, the hospital, but it didn't register. You couldn't really see my face. Oh, man, where is this? Oh, that's out of his beat. That's not even his beat. But he'll probably be there. He'll probably be there involved somehow. He's going to be late, always late, you know. Mm -hmm. And then right then, knock, knock, knock. And there's the, you know, my trainer and the lieutenant there. And she answers the door. She looks at them. She says, this is not Scott. They said, it is. You have to come. You know, everyone's worst nightmare. So my family is slowly getting notified. My dad actually was in China at the time. <laughs> he didn't get the news like three days later. Um, my, I had a brother in Prescott. He got notified. So they, everybody came down. And we got to the hospital. They rolled me inside. And it was, I thought to myself, this is just like the, TV show with the, <laughs> with the lights going by and the doctors asking me all kinds of questions. And they asked me, what, are you allergic to anything? I'm like, yes. Like, what are you allergic to? I'm, I'm allergic to bullets. Don't yeah, give gun me gunfire. Don't give me any more of those. <laughs> I could see the, you know, behind their mask, this and they kind of smiled and doctor came in. He's like, Hey, I'm going to be the one that's going to operate. I'm like, Hey, I trust you, man. You're going to do a good job. I'm going to live. He's like, that's my line. <laughs> taking my line. So they, they got to the hospital, they're poking and prodding me, and I'm just thinking, you know, you got to have something here for the pain. This really hurts. I, I told the paramedic, you got something for the pain. We're going to wait till you get to the hospital. Okay, if I can get to the hospital, give me something for the pain. We're at the hospital. They have not given me anything for the pain. You got anything for this pain because it's, you know, it hurts. The pain hurts. And uh, they're like, okay, how's your breathing? I'm like, well, hurts on this side. Okay, and they gave me a chest tube without any anesthesia. Oh, And I'm screaming. I'm just thinking... Just, just take me back out onto the street because I was doing better out yeah. there. You guys are hurting me more. Like, well, how's your breathing? I'm like, well, it's a little bit better, but 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 don't do that because that hurt. They finally wheeled me into the operating room, and the thing I remember it was cold. And I go, we're going to put you under. I'm like, finally, finally. So they put me under. And here's what they discovered as they did their assessment of uh, of my wounds. So the first shot that uh, this guy had shot me with. Um, hit my handcuffs. I took, I kept a pair up front and a pair in back. And he hit those Smith & Wesson department issue handcuffs and just put a big dent in them. No trauma from that whatsoever. They popped out of my handcuff case and landed on the ground. The next one, um, and that kind of, they, they are, are thinking that it caused me to kind of bend over like someone hit you in the stomach. You got to throw up my hands defensively. And the next one went through and through my left forearm and then hit me in the vest. The third one hit me in the, the vest, right in the, the center. And at about that time, I turned to run. Um, and that one 
got between my front and back panels of my, my vest on my right side and went through my liver, my diaphragm, my lung, and rolled across my heart and exited my sternum and then got ca- caught in the back side of that, that vest. <clears throat> and then uh, the next one hit me in my right butt cheek. And that was when I tell, when I, I give a presentation and I say, that one hit me in the cheek. As you can see, there's no scar. <laughs> Because it wasn't that cheap. It was <laughs> this cheap. That's what Forrest Gump calls a million dollar wound. Yep. <laughs> Shattered my femur. And that's when I went down. And as I was going down, he shot me again in, in the back. And that one hit the vest and just ricocheted off the vest. And then the last shot that he had was the one that, that missed me. Um, the, the most important thing was that, that wound in my chest. So they cut me open from stem to stern. Basically, all the way down uh, from the bottom of my neck to my belly button, cracked my chest, opened me up. Diaphragm, liver, those were pretty easy to fix, but the lung would not stop bleeding. So they're just taking parts out and taking parts out. And at one point, they looked at my heart, it stopped beating, and they're like, oh, hey, let's get the paddles. <laughs> get this guy, bre- get his heart going again. Okay, back to this lung, you know, after my heart started beating again. And so they uh, finally... At that point, a lot of my family had come and a lot of prayer and my lungs stopped, stopped bleeding. So they sewed me up really quick, accidentally sewed a sponge up inside of me. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it all looks the same. It all looks bloody and, you know, gross. But anyway, so they stabilized me. And um, on the scene... The firefighters went and treated this guy, this uh, suspect who had shot me. I had shot him three times in the leg. And it was pretty gruesome. His leg was pretty pretty much hamburger. A forty caliber will mess you mm-hmm. up. It just broke his tib fib. And you can kind of see. I'll, I got some pictures. Anyway, you can kind of see the trajectory of the bullet because I was shooting at an angle down on the ground upwards. <clears throat> and then um, the last shot hit him in the 501 gene tab. And they kind of missed that one. And they're treating his leg and treating his leg. He's unresponsive. They take him to Tempe St. Luke's. They're like, we're missing something. He's bleeding internally. And so they finally find the little entrance wound on his lower back. And they, uh, you know, say, well, we got to fly him to Scottsdale. So they flew him to Scottsdale, opened him up. And this is just, you know, second, third-hand information given to me. They figured, we can't save him. We can't save him. He's, he's too far gone. They closed. No, he died a, couple of days later. And, you know, people, I tell people that I had some people cheer and some people say, good job, you know, and I'm just like, well, I didn't want that to happen. It happened. Right. It, and I, I don't, I regret that it happened, but I don't regret my actions. You know, is what put us both across our paths was a series of decisions. And be that as that was a very bad decision um, I don't hold it against him. He had some views that were kind of warped, but, uh, you know, he still had a mom. He was still somebody's kid. So it's a, it's a hard thing. Sure, sure. And, you know, when police officers, they, they put that badge on, they, they take that oath, there's the always that possibility that you were, you are going to die in this job or you're going to have to make someone else die to keep yourself alive or to save someone else. And, you know, it's a big responsibility. Just say, okay, you know, rock and roll, you're going to, 
you're going to be the, you're going to go out of this world. And I'm going to be the instrument that, that makes that happen. It's like the movie Unforgiven, you know, you kill a man, you take away everything he was and everything he's going to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've had quite a while to contemplate that and come to peace with it, but still, still haunts me a little bit. Sure. Anyway, I stayed three weeks in the hospital. Um, got a plate in my, uh, right leg to piece together that femur. And that's the, that's the one that bugs me the most. The lung actually came back decently well. That's good. Yeah. Um, I had a, a nerve graft in my right, uh, or my, I'm sorry, my left hand, my left forearm because that through and through wound clipped a nerve, almost severed it. And so they repaired that as best as they could. And the funny thing is, you know, that, that femur, I've just had, I've had problems with that leg. <laughs> I just had knee surgery last year. I just had surgery on my uh, on my foot in that in that leg. It's just it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah, you something know. to to remind you. And does it get worse with weather, or is that kind of an old wives' tale? No, it always hurts. <laughs> it doesn't stop hurting. It just always hurts. Sometimes, depending on how I'm laying at night, or how long of a drive I've had, or how long I'm sitting or standing, it uh, it all depends. It's always a reminder. Yeah, but. Uh, Anyway, I got out uh, three weeks later. They they discovered that that sponge had been sewn up inside of me. I was <laughs> sick. Man, his white blood cell count is really high. He's got this fever. He's sick. He can't hold anything down. So they did the MRI, and the doctor came in. He's like, you know, I just want to say, first of all, we did a bang-up job on you. However, <laughs> we did sew up a sponge inside of you, and that's why you've been so sick for the last two and a half weeks. I was like, oh, man. When can we take it out? He's like, we're prepping the emergency room right now, or the, the operating room right now. I'm like, let's do it. And so they took that out, and then I got quickly got better. But I lost like twenty five pounds in the hospital. Yeah, I just couldn't eat, couldn't keep anything down. But um, yeah, I'm just glad that I'm I'm up and walking. Yeah, you know, I'm fairly fairly uh, <laughs> fairly normal. Uh, but you know, I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back. I wanted to. I I. I got, I improved to a point and then I, I just didn't anymore. And my wife was, I'm like, I'm all determined and I'm going to go back. I'm not going to let this beat me. And my wife's like, you know what? I don't really want to go through that again. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you look at some of those uh, retirement options? Cause you might be going through it alone. Think about that. I'm like, let's look at those retirement options. Yeah. yeah. So, that pamphlet, I got that pamphlet yeah. somewhere around the kitchen. <laughs> so about a year later, uh, it was almost a year later to the day after the shooting in 2001, I retired and gave back my, my badge, my gun. That was a hard day because I thought, this is it. I finally decided at 32, at 30 years old, what <laughs> I'm going to be, right? what I'm going to be when I grow up. And then that was taken away. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now? So since then, I've, I've done a lot of things. <laughs> Real estate, insurance inspector. I've been a... Uh, uh, Pest control, I've done that. You speak to me on a new level because I did pest control for 10 years before I was a cop. Yeah. (laughs) But in 2010, we moved away. We moved up up north, up to Sholo. And after we'd been there about four years, the old constable, which he was old, he was 83, decided he was going to retire after 24 years. And I ran for that as a political position. And I, you know, called up. Tempe, is this going to interfere with my, you know, my disability retirement? They're like, nope, whole new animal. 
elected officials, go for it. So I did, and I basically got gun and a badge back. But the, the job of constable is not quite as exciting. Sure. Uh, it's like cop light, I tell people. <laughs> you know, we, we do evict people. We do give uh, restraining orders, and, and uh, we do seize property, which can get exciting sometimes. But uh, it's not the same as going to bar fights and, and you know, pulling over, uh, you know, doing felony stops and things like that. But that's all right. You know, I, I've only had to take my gun out once the whole 11 years. Whereas when I was working in Tempe, every shift, every shift you're taking it out. You're clearing a room or you're doing a felony stop or, or something. So it's, it's kind of nice. I, I enjoy the, the slower pace. Sure. So. Sure. I remember uh, before I ever became a cop, I was in, in a class at ASU and there was a cop there who had long, long, long since retired. I think he's, his kind of heyday was the eighties into the early nineties when he retired. And I remember right. him saying that he'd only pulled his gun out once in like 23 years of law enforcement. And I'm pretty sure uh, I've lost count of the number of times. Cause like you said, I mean, if it's, if it's a felony stop or you have to clear a house, uh, you're not always, you know, you clear a house. There's, there's not always somebody in there, right? Somebody left their door, right. partially a jar of the, you know, a jar of the wind blows it open type of thing. You're not always pointing a gun at another human being, but I mean, we, we've all had to do that. And I remember the first, uh, the first time it happened, I remembered, first time my gun ever came out of its holster was, was towards somebody. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I remember thinking to myself, well, that guy's full of shit. Like, <laughs> like I, I've been here for like 13 and a half minutes and I've already had to draw my gun out. You know what? It come to think of that when I went, uh, that, cause they, they put you out with your, um, your agency when you're still in the, uh, in the Academy. Yeah. yeah. I pulled my gun out then before I was in and out of the academy and pointed at some guy who was, you know, suicidal and got him proned out and everything. And I was like, man, that was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, the potential is always there. So it's, it's scary. It's a scarier world now. Um, definitely, you know, with everybody being so litigious, um, it, we, they were litigious back then. I can't even imagine now. I'm waiting for the guns. To, I'm waiting for Axon to come out with a flashlight camera combination for the front of your gun. Yeah. And Axon, if you hadn't thought about that and you think of it now, just remember I came up with it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just call me and I'll tell you where to send my royalties check to. It'll, and it'll then I'll happen. retire. It'll happen. <laughs> and you know, the Taser, the Taser um, um, factory, the shop they had there was actually in my beat. In oh, Tempe. no kidding. Yeah, okay. They, they moved it after I got shot. But yeah, this is pre-Taser days and, and everything. We had the... Uh, Pepper spray and the baton. Yeah. And that was the less lethal. What, uh, um, going back to, to the beginning of, of this grocery store parking lot, what happened to the, the reporting part of the, the female who called in? Well, it's funny cause I, uh, new details, you know, come out every so often. Um, the reporting party was watching us, of course, interact as was everybody else. It was like, mm -hmm. Hey, free, free shot, free, uh, you know, show of cops here free episode let's watch it which was good and you know the shooting started a lot of witnesses a lot of witnesses but she had actually started to approach us we were so focused on each other we didn't even see her she started to approach us and then he started shooting and she was off like a rabbit she got into her car and took off and called the police again just hysterical i've got the 911 tape and they told her to go back everything was you know code for at the time and uh they asked her about the gun. You know, why didn't you tell us he had a gun? And she kept insisting that she didn't. Well, they talked to the suspect's mother, and he's like, 
yeah, he, he, he always keeps that gun with him. He's always out practicing at the range with that gun. In his car, they found a gun. Uh, I'm sorry. Of course, he had the gun he had. Um, he had dropped it after I shot him. But he had um, five or six more ma- magazines in his car, 200 rounds of 45. He had a shotgun in the trunk uh, with double lot and slugs. And they, of course, you know, did the search warrant on the house. They found his journal. He was a kind of a sovereign citizen, mm-hmm. anti-government type. <clears throat> Had fallen into some bad chat groups and things like that. And he just, he said, right there in his journal, I predict my demise is going to be by federal, state, or local police. And they ran down the, the guns he owned. I'm like, man, I own one of those. The little magazines that he looked at. Yeah, I look at that magazine. If I'd met this guy in the range, I might have even been his friend. Yeah. Just you know, chat with him. He's a gun enthusiast, so am I. You know, um, it's a shame. It's a real shame. But, um, yeah, um, that's about it for, for that. <laughs> yeah, any any contact with her since? Well, the, the, as far as I know, the prosecutor, they didn't have enough evidence to prosecute her on anything like that. Mm-hmm. She left the state. She promptly took off, which was probably good for her. Yeah. But I don't know where she is or what she's up to. But, you know, as a police officer, it's not like you judge people that you're going to intervene on their behalf. You just intervene on whoever it is. doesn't matter who it is. Right. Everyone is the same color. Same creed, doesn't matter. You're just there to save people. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah you're there to, to literally just answering a call for service. You, yeah, you're the thin blue line there between people who would do other people's harm and the people who are just want to live their lives. Mm-hmm. And without the police, it's going to break down real quick. Oh, yeah. It's going to be real ugly. The whole call for defund the police is a... We could talk about that for another episode. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it, you you start talking about the the defunding of law enforcement, and you 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 know look at people and be like, do you ever you ever see Mad Max? Yeah, like, that's yeah. kind of what it's going to turn into. Well, I think people are seeing that, that that the ideas and the ideology behind that they're reaping what they sow. Sure, with the increase in the spike in crime and, and things like that. What. Uh, uh, when you were in the hospital, what was the first thing that uh, that you said to your wife? Did you have anything like Reagan with the "Oh, sorry, honey, I forgot to duck"? Anything, anything humorous <laughs> come out, or or was it uh, was it uh, "Hey, sweetheart, I'm still here"? I had a uh, a breathing tube down my throat, oh, and so okay. I, I did a little bit of sign language and I communicated to her that I loved her and that I hurt, and uh, with a little little sign language that I know, but. Uh, I was I was in an induced coma for a while. I, I woke when I wake up. One time I woke up, my hands were strapped to the gurney. <laughs> I was freaking out. And they're like, "You tried to pull out your breathing tube." Yeah. That's why I'm like, yeah. "Oh, okay." Oh, yeah, and then okay. I went back to. I would talk to people. I'd blink my eye and I'd open my eyes again, and they'd be gone. It'd be three hours later. I'm like, "Oh, I guess I dozed off," you know. But I I did have a. Uh, I did have that ring, and. My good friend, Kyle Schmidt, he's like, hey, I need you to be lucid for one minute here. I'm like, okay. I'll <laughs> do my best. <laughs> Where's the ring? I'm like, all right. It's in the gun safe. Get the key for my wife. 
And I blinked, and he was back with the ring. I'm like, well, that was quick. He's like, it's two hours <laughs> later. Like, I thought you teleported. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, here's the ring. And okay, go get my wife, and I gave it to her, like, I don't know, two or three days after our anniversary. So yeah, that's the, the awe moment, awe. So um, one time I was kind of, because I was in and out, and as I was coming out, I heard everybody talking, the, the police officers in my room talking, hey, does he know yet? Does he know about the suspect? And I, I'm like, what? What happened? Like, oh, he's awake. <laughs> the suspect has died. Well, how do you feel about that? And I said, I don't know. And then I went back to sleep. Yeah. So it was very, very uh, surreal, very weird, painful time in the hospital. But uh, anyway, yeah. Did um, you get to keep your handcuffs? Kept the handcuffs. In fact, um, you know, they were going to destroy the gun. They're going to destroy my gun. And I got that back. Nice. All right. So I've got that. Was it um, a Glock, like Glock 22? Or? Glock 22. Yeah. Standard issue. Um, little Tempe stamp on the on the slide. Oh, that's cool. I wish they would still do that. They don't do that uh, for us anyways. I don't know. I don't. I think everybody that could get in trouble for that has left already. The apartment if 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 people could get in trouble as far as i know it was all above board i signed a you know background check and had sure. to go down to a store to get it so i figured it was all legit and all above board but yeah i've got all i've got most of the bullets the only one i don't have is the one that um ricocheted off my back and the one that missed me i don't have those two bullets but the rest of them i've got um i was thinking melting them down doing something with them but i just haven't done anything with them right yet. but uh yeah got some souvenirs what I got, about i got my vest i was I gonna say do you have your vest Got my vest. I've got the sh- my shorts, of the bullet hole right in the butt cheek, and and my duty belt with the, you know, the hole right in the handcuff case and everything. And I understand that. Uh, and this was in what July of two thousand. Yeah. And you're wearing shorts. I mean, did you get any any burn injuries or anything like that with that hot asphalt? There was a, a police officer who's since passed away who held up my legs. But I did get I got burns on the back of my arms. Okay. Yeah. From the asphalt. Yeah. Burned and shot on the same day. So I had to get uh, skin grafts for that, taken off the back of my leg. And it's like a cheese grater type thing. And they take their skin off and put it on your, sew it onto your, your eyes. Weird. Anyway. Yeah. So God, yeah, I, I, that just makes me cringe just wait, here. My, my wife is a burn survivor and she's oh, had yeah. plenty of skin grafts. But just thinking about that cheese grater thing is like, uh, yeah. uh, uh. <laughs> like road rash is what it feels like. But uh, yeah, my scars have scars. I, you know, I don't wear the, the Speedo to the beach unless it's a real private beach. Sure, so, um, sure. Don't want to scare the kids. Oh, no, no, no. And, and what you do on Tuesday nights is none of my business or anybody <laughs> who's listening to this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, do you, do they, did Tempe ever have you go into like academy classes yes. to kind of teach? Yeah. Yeah. I've, and the thing was, we had this, you know, cri- critical incident stress dis- debriefing and a class on that. And what they really stressed about it was, you know, as a police officer, it's such a cool job that you can just be cop, cop, eat, breathe, live, cop. But you've got to branch out. you got to make friends that aren't cops. you got to have some hobbies that aren't cop-related. So that if that cop, like a a table with four legs, you take one of those table legs away, the the table can still stand. And I took that to heart. And uh, whenever I have the chance to talk about it, I do. Because um, they said in that same meeting, you need to talk about this. You need to get it out there. You need to talk. And it's cathartic. Every time I talk about it, my wife still can't talk about it. 
because she doesn't talk about it very much. And I've talked about it so much. I've kind of, you know, I've got this little wall around this experience that happened to this guy. Sometimes what it feels like that I talk about and it's not me. I kind of got this separation. So I can, I can every once in a while if, when I'm talking about it, getting broken up, getting a little teary, uh, thinking about certain people that it, it affected. And, but it's been, uh, it's been helpful. It's been helpful to talk about it. So thank you for being, you know, part of my therapy. Hey, absolutely. I won't even charge you for it. (laughs) I'll make you sign my flag and take a picture with me and we'll call it even. But, uh, um, I mean, so that may sound like a silly question. Do you recommend though, that, that officers who are involved in these types of instances, once, once the dust has settled, the IA process is over that, Hey, you need to like talk to somebody about it. If it's another cop, if it's, if it's your family member, just, just the more you, would you say the more you talk about it, I hesitate to say the easier it gets, but I'm, I'm at a loss for, I think, I think that's true. I think that's true. The more you talk about it and you know, the, the stories that, that this story in particular is a, is a story about, you know, overcoming in, in adversity. And there are some stories that don't have a happy ending. You know, that, that kid that you roll up on who's been abused and finally succumbed to their injuries. And mm-hmm. you know, the, the parents who deny it and just, traumatic things like that are, are going to multiple, uh, multiple death call. And, and those things are hard to talk because there's no happy ending. There's no one coming out on the other side of, of it. I think, you know, stronger unless it's they themselves, but you know, there's just so much of that that you can see and experience and people are, are different. Some people handle it better than others. Some people, it just crushes them. But I think the more you talk about it, the, the better it is. Yeah, absolutely. Even though, uh, uh, you've been in the hospital for a few weeks, did they still have you go back through and do like a, a walkthrough of the scene and all that? Or did they just pretty much come in and, and maybe interview you about it? I wasn't walking. I didn't walk. That, well, fair enough. P- know, poor choice of words on my yeah, part. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I stayed at home and gained my weight back and then some, um, in a lazy boy in Tempe donated in a lazy boy. Nice. And I used the heck out of that. But uh, yeah, the the leg the leg injury was the was the one that caused me problems. But uh, anyway, they did uh, you know they did their investigation. They came about six weeks later. I still wasn't walking, and you know they asked me some questions. How long do you think it lasted? And I was like, wow, oh, minute and a half, two minutes. And it was like 30, you know fifteen seconds from from his first shot yeah. to your last shot. Yeah. Fifteen seconds. Wow, like about fifteen seconds, and. Uh, I did. I hadn't listened to my tape, and they let me listen to my tape, and I was like, yeah, "I remember that. I don't remember that part. I don't remember that part." But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. And then the county, I, I actually had a pending complaint, and it was dismissed <laughs> <laughs> before this is all cleared up. I'm like sitting there at home with my legs all, my arms all wrapped up in bandages from the burns and my leg wound, and I'm sitting there. I'm thinking. Yeah, that was weighing heavily on my mind at this time. I'm sure glad you told me that. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. I mean, let me wipe the sweat off my brow yeah. from that one. Yeah, I was <laughs> pensing over that one. So 15, 15 seconds, you know, you talk about time dilation. I, I don't really know that I've experienced it. I think I was maybe the closest I would come to it. I was in a rollover accident when I was 18, but that seemed to all happen fairly quickly. But it seems that a lot of people who are in these critical incidences... And you even almost 
saying, oh, I think it maybe lasted a minute and a half, two minutes. You probably almost shortchanged what your mind had, yeah. had, had come up with. You know, some people are like, yeah, I probably, had, probably, I don't know, like five, six, seven minutes, or I fired this many rounds, but you know, you seem to, to do fairly well and, and keep track of it all. Hmm. It was, some things were, uh, you, know, you, you can check off the things, you know, the, uh, the sound exclusion. I got that, the, the time slowing down. I got that, you know, um, of, of a critical incident. Some people even say, claim that they could see the bullets flying by them, you know. Well, not me. It was, it was very quick, and then it wasn't, and then it was very quick again. You know, it's just, it's weird. It's strange what your body will do, what your mind will do as, it, as it's going through an experience like that. Sure. I can, w- one thing I want to get your take on is, is, well, while on the topic of the mind is, is mindset. I mean, I can remember going through post-academy training um, with my then FTO sergeant, and we were doing mock building clearing, mock room clearing. And right. um, uh, I don't remember the system we were using, but, you know, you come around pie a corner and he shoots me. And in my mind, I was like, oh, okay, exercise, exercise over. Like I, I'm dead. And I holster up and he rightfully so loses his shit on me. Right. Um, like what, what are you doing? Why are you quitting? Why are you, you know, you're mm-hmm. not dead until you're dead. Like, why didn't you try to shoot back at me? And that has been something that always stuck with me. What was it that, that, you know, was it any sort of speci- uh, like specific training or, or any sort of upbringing where you stayed in the fight? When I was in the aca- Academy and we were doing the scenarios, that's what I did. I got shot and I was like, Oh, you got me. Okay. I guess scenario over. And they're like, no, you have to keep fighting. And I really, I, I took that to heart. And, you know, they, they always try in the police departments, try to instill this warrior mentality. And, you know, that's one thing that I, when I talk to people in the academy, new recruits in the academy, I said, look, I got shot with a forty-five, Up close, personal, point blank. I was still able to fight. You keep fighting. You keep fighting until you can't. Because I don't think that, uh, I don't think most bad guys out there have that mentality. Yes, you run into it every so often. But if you put up a good fight and you keep fighting and keep fighting, they'll they'll quit mm-hmm. and you'll win. And that's the that's what you want to do. You know, if you're gonna die, at least go out go out having people say, Well, all the all the rounds that he had were expended. Yeah. <clears throat> and he had, you know, he had pieces of the guy's uh, ankle in his teeth, you know. Yeah. Fight to the very end. Yeah, I do uh I had another one of my FTOs, Adam. Uh he had uh, been in the military and I remember that his his whole stance was, uh, was look, if something happens, um, like we're going to have a pile of brass around us and that's pretty much the end of it. And I'm not going to accept anything less than that. So, yeah. um, uh, I do, uh, I do think that, that having people give you that heart to heart and learning those lessons in training where you should learn them at right. least initially learning those lessons will go a long way towards, towards keeping in, keeping yeah. you in the fight. Um, uh, did you have kids at the time? Yeah, two. And, and uh, I mean, what are, have you talked to, what are their thoughts on it? I mean, now 20 years on type of thing. Oh, I don't know. They, they, they joke around with me and try to push me over if I'm teetering or something. <laughs> but uh, Great. Nice kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've, they've sat in on a couple of my presentations and, and every once in a while it's brought up one of the people that was on the, uh, um, on the scene there had retired and, and moved up to Sholo and substituted class and was reading the roster of the class. And she says, Andrew Tipton, Tipton, 
is your is your father Scott Tipton? He's like, yeah. She's like, I want everyone to know. And she <laughs> told my story, and all the eyes look at him. He's just like, <laughs> you know, gee, thanks for yeah. the attention, you know. But uh, they uh, they take it to heart. I I don't know if I I don't think I would encourage them to be police officers at this point. But if they did, they decided to do that. I'd be proud of them. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I was talking to uh, uh, Dave uh, with True Kinetics last week, and we had a similar conversation about, you know, would you want your kids? I've got my son will be two in November, and would I want him to be a police officer? And, yeah. And I used to used to always think oh, I'd be so proud of of my kid, you know, following my footsteps, and I would still be proud of him. Worried but proud. Worried oh. but proud. But I would. I, I imagine that as he grows older, I will likely try to maybe encourage him to see what else is an option. If he, yeah. you know, of his own accord decides, you know what, I'm going to be a cop like dad, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit there, wag my finger at him and say no, but he's going to go and he's going to go and have some good long conversations with people and, and go on ride alongs and, and yeah. get his, his experience so that he knows, Absolutely. you know, kind of what he, he might be getting himself into there. Um, uh, how many times did you end up getting hit in total? Um, seven. Seven. And then there was that that one round that, right. that missed. That one one round hit me twice. It threw my forearm. Oh, right, right. Hit me in the chest. So, yeah, I used to have a license plate that said seven shots. And people were like, yeah, you must like tequila. <laughs> not, not what I'm talking about. No, that's not it. <laughs> I, I, and, you know, I, I'm curious to know. And you'll you'll never know, right? I mean, was this guy going back to his car to to flee? Was he going back to his car to to fix the malfunction and reload? Was he going back to get the shotgun out of his trunk? Like, has that crossed your mind? Yeah, you know, I, I'd like to think that maybe he was. You know, that he, I stopped him from hurting anybody else and other responding officers. And you never know how dedicated he was. Maybe sure. after shooting, you know the the. One police officer, he thought, well, that wasn't as as cool as I thought it would be. Yeah, I'm screw it. Myself What's one up. more? What's two more? Yeah, you, you never know, and, and when we'll never know. But uh, you know, you, you fall back on your training, and that's uh, that's why training is so important. You know, because you'll fall back to the lowest level of your training. Sure. Like I apologized yep. to my firearms instructor. I said I was aiming for his back. I hit him in the leg. Sorry. I guess my trigger control was not that great at yeah. that at that point when I was bleeding out on the. <laughs> the I don't sidewalk. think you'll find too many firearm instructors that are like, "No, let's go back and talk about what you did wrong." That's right. Now let's look at this. <laughs> they're they're probably just going to sit there and say, "Hey, you're still breathing." Yeah. So. Yeah, that was the response. You're still here, so. But I call him. Like I just talk to him every year. I say, "Hey, man, thanks. Yeah, hey, thanks for the great training." He's retired, moved to Texas, but talk to him every year. Um, it's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to imagine that he that that probably helps. I mean, if nothing else, his entire existence is probably validated <laughs> by that phone call. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> and uh, and shout out to uh, was is Tempe St. Luke not a level one trauma center? Is that no, they're not. Oh, okay, that explains the trip to county. Because yeah. I was curious if well, maybe Tempe wasn't there yet, but no, no, they were there, but they were just you know fixing boo boos and stuff. So nothing with gunshot wounds like county is always getting right. So unfortunately, they're. They're good doctors there because they're always treating that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's the the best training they can get is to keep getting them rolling through the door, I imagine. Yeah. So, yeah. well, shout out to uh, 
the medical staff over at Tempe San Absolutely. And uh, I did just have a nurse who was asking me some questions, and I, I jokingly but serious uh, told her, I was like, yeah, I, as a personal rule, if it's not super egregious, I never wrote nurses or doctors tickets because I never knew if I was going to end up on your table. And I know that you wouldn't have sat there and been like, oh, this is the cop that wrote me a ticket. But that's always gone through my mind. Right, so, right. <laughs> so if you're wearing scrubs and you're doing, I don't know, 57 and a 45, I'm probably not going to write you that ticket. Right, right. Uh, to be fair, I'm not going to write anybody that ticket. But uh, uh, that was always my joke with uh, with medical staff there. Um well, Scott, this is uh, I do appreciate you coming down, man. I can remember my other icebreaker question now. So we're going <laughs> to okay. we're going to tack it onto the tail end. Right. What is something that uh, that you believe wholeheartedly that other people think is a conspiracy theory? I don't know if, if you'd say everybody would think it was a conspiracy, but I think this last election, the the uh, winner and the discrepancies that happened to make it so that uh, Donald Trump did not win that election. I think that there are uh, nefarious behind the scenes um, machinations going on. I sure. Guess you'd sure. Say. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I got to remember who I live with and what side of the, uh, what side of the page that she votes on. Uh, I do love my wife, I promise. But, uh, but no, you, you do look at some of the numbers and you're like that. That, that's odd how'd that get there right <laughs> so right but we don't we don't need to launch too far into it so keep keep her happy uh, uh and and keep uh some of the audience members happy it was a sham um but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh well scott uh again man i do appreciate the hell out of you coming down and taking out of time on on your uh, sunday afternoon uh, uh to come and speak with me um got listeners man all all over the world and and uh, i hope that my show is growing every day i don't look at the analytics probably as much as i should um i i'm i imagine i will get to that point eventually um but uh what is uh i mean you got a microphone to uh to the entire planet i mean we got listeners again in many 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 countries what is uh what is something that the world needs to hear from scott tipton if we're talking about in reference to this uh, particular incident, that that life is very precious and short, and it can be, you know, snuffed out in an instant, and it's not long enough, and it's not worth it to hold petty grievances, and to not tell your loved ones that you love them, because you never know when there there will be a last time you'll see your loved ones, whether it's from you or whether it's from them passing on, and. Um, just make sure you tell them that you love them and you appreciate them and that they know that because like I said, life's short. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I brought it up at the beginning of the episode with, uh, with my cousin over in England who passed away and, you know, damn it all to hell from COVID couldn't get over there, uh, last year, uh, would hopefully, hopefully be able to go over there in the next year or so and at least go and pay my respects to him and, and, uh, see the family over there that I do still have. But no, I, I agree with you, man, that, that life is indeed far too short. Um, I, I, I am curious cause now you've piqued my interest. Were there any vacations that you took after all this? You got all healed up and you're like, screw it. We're going to Bora Bora. Like, <laughs> I just got back from the, from the vacation that, uh, is the, the yearly end all be all vacation. And that's, we, my whole family extended family goes to the beach. Okay. And I was, I think, uh, a week away from going to this. I was in the hospital trying to recover from this. When you were supposed to be at the beach. I'm like, 
how can I get to the beach? <laughs> that makes you angry when you're getting uh, yeah, shot. Yeah, <laughs> so I missed that beach. I missed that beach trip. Um, there was a, uh, a show, uh, a radio show. They were running a uh, like a win a free vacation, and someone called up when I was in the hospital and said, "Hey, why don't we just donate that to, to Officer Tipton?" It was like a two day stay in Sedona, and so you know, at the one year anniversary, we went up. We went up to Sedona. Oh well, that's pretty nice. So yeah. So I haven't missed a, uh, I haven't missed a California, you know, family reunion beach vacation. Sure, yet. sure. Take your Since vacations, then. man. Yeah. I, you know, talk to, I say new officers. I've only been doing this for like four and some change years, but take your vacations, enjoy your time with your family. Like you, you, you will earn more vacation. Well, let me be cautious in how I say this. You will earn a lot of vacation. I'm sure you could burn it all really quickly if you tried to, but, uh, but take the time away from work, unwind, uh, if you have a work cell phone, uh, those of you that understand detective life, uh, leave, turn that thing off, leave it, leave it at home and take your vacation. I actually had the mild thought of when I go to Hawaii in a couple weeks, like, oh man, like I got cases. I mean, should I bring my work phone with me? And, and one of my, one of the senior detectives I work with just shook his head and he goes, you'll, you'll want to do that, but then you're only ever going to pay attention to your phone. Just leave it there. It may be like a day or so. You're like, Oh, I'm going to have so many emails when I get back and then you're going to stop thinking about it. So take the time with your family. Absolutely. And, uh, and enjoy yourself. Uh, again, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really do appreciate it. Uh, again, shout out to the Hunter seven foundation, uh, for today's nonprofit, uh, uh, that we want to bring attention to. Uh, should you have any questions, uh, comments or concerns, blue line millennial at gmail.com, or you can find me on Instagram or uh, Facebook. I don't check Facebook, um, all that, uh, all that frequently. Uh, so, uh, if you don't want me to answer your questions, hit me up on Facebook. If you do want me to answer your questions, uh, find me on Instagram. This episode will be, uh, uh, Scott, I think I'm gonna have to bring you on again, man. I don't think this is going to be the last time that we have, we hear from Scott Tipton. So well, I'd be happy to, happy to do another show. Hey, and we'd be happy to have you down here, man. I know it is a hell of a drive. <laughs> so it's, it's a good four-hour drive there. Um, uh, again, uh, just thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Uh, I know that, uh, that, that talking about it, uh, as we've said, talking about it more makes it easier, but it's still something that, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a deeply personal story that you shared, and I want you to know that I really appreciate that. Uh, with that, everybody, uh, thank you all for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you on the road. Thank you.